Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Checkfront, the booking platform trusted by over 5,000 tour and activity operators around the world. You can start your own free 21-day trial over at Checkfront.com. Welcome to the Tour Operator Startup Series on the Tourpreneur Podcast. Travel industry veteran Nikki Padilla Rivera follows a tour operator startup on their journey from idea to execution to we don't know where. We hope it's to success. But you're going to have to listen in each month to find out. And now, welcome your host, Nikki Padilla Rivera. Hello, tourpreneurs. This is the fourth episode now of the Tour Operator Startup. And as Shane hasn't canceled us yet, we're going to take that as a good sign. So this month's episode, you'll see it's been a bit of a roller coaster since we've last heard from Ripley and Sita, our two brand new tourpreneurs, going from two weeks of sold out tours to another full lockdown that was just extended where they are in Canberra, Australia, to the point where they can't even see each other as they live on opposite sides of the city. But In an incredible effort to stay motivated, they are working on what they can, which includes expanding their brand to a podcast, potentially. So on today's episode, we were lucky enough to have Danielle Desir from the Thought Card Podcast, who explains how to extend your brand through other mediums or, as she eloquently coined it, a connected brand. So if you're looking for some new inspiration on how to keep going when Tours are not an option, or if you've ever given a thought to making your social media or YouTube channel more than just a place to house your marketing content, you'll definitely want to grab a pen and paper for this one. I think her advice is really, really relevant for a lot of us. Any show notes, or if you're looking for earlier episodes of this series, you can head to tourpreneur.com. And this month on the Facebook group, Ripley and Cedar are looking to get your advice on how do you stay motivated when things keep getting harder? So I know this has come up before um, during different lockdowns around the world, but any thoughts or advice you might have, um, give a comment on the Tourpreneur Facebook page. So with that, thank you for listening. Enjoy the episode. Ripley, Sita, welcome back. Month four, and things have changed a little bit, maybe going backwards than... I think we had hoped we would be at this point. So I don't know, my question for you just to start things off is what is it like building a business when you have to keep shutting down? Yeah, I don't think that it's going to sound weird, but I don't think that Ripley and I fully thought through that we were starting a business in the middle of a pandemic. 
and that we might have to go into kind of lockdown. Like, I think it was in our mind, but we didn't expect the reality because Canberra has been handling COVID-19 really well. But we've now been in lockdown for five weeks and it got announced day before yesterday that it would be another four weeks of lockdown. And before that, we'd run two weeks of tours that were like sold out. So we felt like we'd really hit the ground running. And then to go into lockdown has been a bit disheartening and demoralizing. But I think it's been good in that it's given us time to kind of make sure that our finances are in track. There were a few government accounting things that we had neglected to do. So we had to basically beg them not to fine us thousands of dollars. Uh, and that worked out in the end yeah we're still waiting like the tax office is really nice to us and was like yeah this is your first time and then you submitted all the right things so it should be okay but yeah like we kind of think we got kind of so excited about actually developing a tour and delivering that we forgot that there is a whole other side of running a business so it's been good to kind of get on top of that and do some actual like planning for the future and kind of trying to pandemic proof the business which because at the moment we're just like completely shut down and there's nothing that we can really do um, as a walking tour business. Because everyone's been COVID impacted, like how do you keep your sanity and motivation when your business is like heavily COVID impacted and we don't even qualify for the business support grants. So, Is it because you're too new or because? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And our annual turnover is too low. It's been a real journey as well. Like, and because the Australian government released all of the um, statistics on when they think international travel is going to resume in Australia. And it's not till 2024, 2025 that they think it will return to pre-pandemic levels, which is just like, that's so far away. It is. But that also seems reasonable. No, like the amount of time it'll take to like open itself let alone like bump back up but you have domestic is your is your audience too right yeah. so at least you can jump back in earlier yeah one of the things that we were talking about was how it's a bit difficult because we can't even like compare what we're doing now to a pre-covid era because we've always been like operating in a pandemic and with only kind of a really local audience like we haven't even had any visitors from outside Canberra doing our tours because everywhere else has kind of been in and out of lockdown so It'll be interesting to kind of see how it goes with a domestic, an actual domestic audience, and then like hopefully one day with an international audience, and how that kind of changes the dynamic. Maybe that's a blessing in disguise because you're not having you know that horrible dip in your graph, which is demoralizing. You know, at least you've started from zero anyhow, <laughs> so you're having little happy you know mountains, and then it's kind of going a little back down. But at least you haven't gone that yeah. far up. Yeah, it's like COVID normal has always been our normal. Yeah. Yeah. Are you re-evaluating your business goals? Or I know Sita, you had earlier said that you're COVID proofing, but are you just constantly re-evaluating or are you trying to come up with goals that can be steady regardless of COVID? So (laughs) there's been good days and bad days. We've had some days where we've thrown our hands up in the air and, and thought, was this a terrible decision? And then we've had other days where we're like, no, let's think a year and a half ahead. There's still ways we can make this work. So we're leaning towards let's make this work. So that's, you know, let us down this road to could we make a podcast? Could we do, you know, a virtual tour? Could we do oh, anything to help this to survive? Because we really do believe in it. So we're not giving up anytime soon. I'm such a realist and I have a really hard time with, I think, our particular sector of 
travel is particularly overly optimistic. And especially the beginning of the pandemic, there were lots of, oh, it'll be back sooner and everything will be fine. And that's sort of not my wavelength. But that being said, I do believe travel will come back. Like, of course it will. There's been travel for ages and there will be for ages in the future. It's just a matter of when, right? So I don't necessarily think it's a bad bet to get into travel right now. If you look at all these companies constantly popping up, the culture trip, for example, just announced that they're going to be doing multi-day tours. Their businesses right now deciding to get into the tour business. So I think that really shows that people know it's coming back. It's more a matter of how are you going to survive until it comes back? Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it, especially in an Australian context where a vaccine rollout was so much slower. And yeah, but we knew when we started this, it was going to be a bumpy road. So I'm curious if you think like you knew to a degree what you're signing up for. Do you think it's just so far from what you could have ever imagined and that's what's making it hard right now? Or do you just think in general, a business during a pandemic, like that alone is stressful enough? When we started this, it was the right time for both of us personally and in our personal and kind of professional lives to start it. So I think without COVID, it would have been a really great time. And then you have a pandemic And it makes things a bit difficult. But I think because like the stars align for us so much, like personally, that perhaps we ignored the pandemic a bit (laughs) and we're like, okay, we're so in sync with like where we are that we can make this work. And now I think with like this lockdown, especially after we'd been operating, you know, running tours for two weeks, that it really just hits you. Like, I don't know, I think I've been hit like just really hard, like, wow, okay, we actually started in a pandemic in ways that I perhaps didn't think through before because Canberra was really like sheltered. Like we didn't have any cases for like almost a year. The conversation in Australia was that we were moving out of it and that things were opening up again and then Delta. <laughs> yeah, but I guess that is just going to make your decision-making now even more informed because now we live in a reality mm-hmm. where we understand things get better, but it doesn't mean it's an upward trajectory. It might dip back down, then get a little better. So at least we have that information to use to make decisions moving forward. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's so true. And I was thinking about how we could climate change proof our um, business. So I'm like... <laughs> If we just get fireproof suits, we can still do it <laughs> in bushfire season. So that's where I'm at emotionally. So I was like, I'm ready for the next crisis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things that yeah, most Americans probably don't have to stress about. It's very real. It's very real. It's very interesting starting a business or running a business while the world is falling apart. No. <laughs> <laughs> when you say COVID proofing, what does that look like? What can you do right now? Yeah, well, we've been thinking about kind of like other ways to like draw an income through like She Shapes History. So kind of looking at whether that be YouTube or podcasting. So ways that we can still share stories and do it in kind of like an engaging way, but that isn't on a walking tour and isn't in person, which, yeah, has been like, I think that there are lots of options. It's just finding the right one and the right one that kind of suits our personalities and our stories that we want to tell. Well, I mean, a podcast is why we're talking today with our guests, but I mean, where did that come from? Ripley, I believe, has podcast experience, right? 
Yeah, yeah. So Ripley has experience working on an eating disorder mental health podcast. So I don't have any experience <laughs> of doing podcasting, but Ripley does. And I think that Ripley is very good at kind of thinking through like how to monetize certain things. So like Ripley also has some YouTube experience from when they were a mental health advocate. So I think that they're really good at thinking through other options that aren't just like the obvious. You know, when you had first mentioned that you were working on a podcast, I think I saw it on one of your Instagram posts that you're working on and developing it. And so everyone go follow them. They've been doing a lot on Instagram, which is really fun. But as soon as I, I heard you mention podcast, I knew I wanted to invite Danielle Desir, who is our guest today. I was introduced to Danielle. I think we were looking for a speaker to talk about developing podcasts or other mediums as passive income streams for tour guides specifically. And so that's how I first met Danielle. And she is ridiculously accomplished. Danielle runs the Thought Card podcast, which shares inspiring stories, tips, advice from money nerds and globe trotters who are using their hard-earned money to creatively travel the world, earn more, pay off debt, and build wealth. I highly recommend it. I subscribed. Also, she's the founder of Women of Color Podcasters, really the first community of its kind dedicated to amplifying the voices of women of color podcasters from around the world. A co-founder of a virtual podcast summit, Podthon, has written three three books, not one, but three, an Iceland travel guide, a book on saving strategies to help people afford travel and one on traveling with a full-time job. So with that incredible resume, I was just so impressed with how Danielle was really able to break down to a very basic level what goes into creating a podcast. And specifically for what I want to talk about with you both today is how to make sure you're expanding your brand through the podcast as opposed to just adding one more project onto your plate. So with that, Danielle, welcome. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm so, oh, that's a lot, right? So I hope I can live up to uh, that amazing, amazing bio, but I'm sure it's going to be a great conversation. Thanks again. Well, I mean, you know, hearing Sita and Ripley or where they're at at the moment and why the idea of the podcast came up. I mean, I think Sita, is it right to say that the goal is sort of passive income and a way to expand the brand? Yeah, a hundred percent. In your podcast experience, Danielle, does that seem reasonable, like a reasonable goal to start a podcast? Yeah, I think it's definitely a reasonable goal. The reason why I started my podcast, The Thought Card, was because I wanted to expand my brand. I had a blog for three years prior before introducing the podcast. And I was like, I want to grow. I want to meet more people. Again, if you're having an interview-based show or even a documentary style, you can have guests on and talk to them. And I wanted to communicate with my audience a lot faster as well. So brand expansion is definitely something that a podcast can do for you, for sure. How does the podcast do the brand expanding? So depending on where your existing brand is... So for example, if you are a blogger, you're writing content... However, when you are adding a podcast to that, you are able to create this more intimate relationship because your voice, there's something special about your voice, right? You're able to communicate and it's a very intimate experience versus just a written content and even video content as well. So it really depends on what the purpose of the show will be. For me, I knew that I wanted it to be a supplement to my blog. 
So that's a question I have for you. What's the purpose of the show that you're going to have? And is it going to be a supplement? So when people say, for example, the Thought Card podcast, it's the stories part. It's the interviews part with other creative travelers that doesn't get featured on my blog. My blog has maybe more destination guides and and more how-tos and more of me. However, the podcast brings other people in the industry to surround me and to really bring this community to life. Well, so the way that we were thinking of doing the podcast was having it sync up to a walking tour that we're planning on kind of launching next year on um, kind of like Australian female spies and spy catchers. And a lot of the stories that we just like can't tell with the tour because it's only two hours and because we're interviewing some really great people who like had been spies or have, you know, worked in a key intelligence organization. So we wanted to kind of use all of that and put that into a podcast. So that sounds like a series. It sounds like a limited series versus an ongoing show. So if you were to do, for example, She Shapes History and you're telling the stories of Australian women, that is broader, right? And you're not constrained by the Pacific theme of the spy element. But maybe you do have enough content to create a whole show about Australian women spies. Maybe that could be the show. But I would really think about, you know, am I being too narrow is this a season within the podcast or is this the podcast, right? To me, it sounds like this would be a limited series that would go in tandem with the tours that you're already providing. And especially since you're in lockdown right now, this is a good lead, right? They could listen to the podcast because they can't go on tour with you right now or in the future, and it could lead them to come and join you in person. However, I think that maybe a, a little bit more of a broader approach that symbolizes your brand maybe a good take as well. Cause then you have a lot to work with a little bit more to work with than just the spy focus. Is it a limited series or is it going to be like, that's the focus of the show specifically on Australian women spies? Yeah, this is what we've kind of been having lots of conversations about and about like production and whether we do interview people because that adds in more time, the sort of stories we want to share because there are so many, like how you kind of curate them, whether it's just us telling the stories or like bringing other people in. Yeah, I think we're kind of still in the figuring out the right way to go around it without it taking up like huge amounts of our time and energy, which is already somewhat limited. So yeah, I think the idea of kind of going broader probably would work better because there are so many different stories that we could do. How like often do you think it would be a good idea to do kind of like a podcast on like, if we were doing just Australian women, like women's history stories? Well, the good news is it doesn't have to be uh, weekly. That's like a myth and we can just debunk that. It does not have to be weekly. I know a lot of podcasters do bi-weekly. I do bi-weekly because originally I had a full-time job and it just gave me a bit of space to create, promote, and do it again. However, you can really pick the cadence that is right for you. So if monthly is right for you, then do that. What's most important is being consistent and being where you say you're going to be and doing what you say you're going to do. So if you say, hey, I'm going to drop an episode the first of the month, your audience is going to look for you the first of the month. And that's what's the most important. It doesn't really matter what day, doesn't matter what time of day, it matters 
is that you just show up the day that you say that you're going to do on a consistent basis. If they were to batch it into themes, let's say the first one is spy and then maybe, I know, tours open it back up and they have some time and they're going to move away from the podcast. Could they then come back theoretically and do another batch at another time? I'm thinking of cereal. I guess I, I feel like I don't know how often it was, but I feel like there was a huge gap between seasons of that one. Yeah. So we call those seasons just like a TV show, right? Game of Thrones was gone for like two years. That is fine. You can just say this is a seasonal show. And the first season, you want to quantify how many episodes the season has. So if it's 10, you're going to release 10. And then you sign off and say, okay, we'll be back. Either you disclose a date or you just say that we'll be back for the next season in the future. So it just, again, it just depends, but seasonality, it's a very common thing and it helps with sustainability as well, right? You're growing a business, you have other things and other responsibilities. So being able to just release a set of episodes and then take a break is great for creativity. And it gives your audience a time to re-listen over and over again. Like bringing in kind of the passive income thing, which do you think like just lends itself better to it, like doing kind of like bi-weekly ongoing or batching into seasons? I don't think it, that necessarily doesn't matter. I think what matters most is how will you create an income from the show? I think that's something that podcasters, initial podcasters don't think about. They think about just creating content and that's okay. However, if you're intentionally creating a podcast to be a lead for your business and to create passive income somewhere down the line, that intentionality is really important. So what is that going to look like? Are you going to insert ads for your walking tours in the episodes? Do you have a guide or a digital product that you'll be promoting within the episodes? That's passive income because you, again, you create the guide once, you mention it on an episode and the episode is now out there in the, in the internet for years to come, which can bring you some income. So those are the things that I would think about, especially in the beginning. Like It's different from YouTube, right? YouTube is a platform where the goal may be to get a thousand subscribers so you could be monetized. And now you have this ad revenue coming in. However, podcasts are decentralized where you're really responsible for creating the income. There's not a overarching body. You own your RSS feed. So there's not an overarching body that is going to give you ad revenue. You have to create that for yourself, either through working with sponsors, creating your products or providing your own services. So that's the important thing to consider. I would never say that, oh, you start a podcast for passive income. It could lead to passive income if you're strategic, but it's not like YouTube where you reach a goal of a K, now your ads are open and the floodgates, it opens and now money's coming in. It's a little bit different. Okay. It's a, yeah, I don't think something that we've really thought through and being intentional about monetizing it and stuff. Just one more note on that, Sita. I'm thinking of all the connections that you both made when you were starting up the tour company, all those organizations that you reach out to in museums who are so excited, I wonder if any of them would be interested that you are doing a podcast, either in supporting or maybe doing something in partnership or having their museum or entities mentioned or, you know, special access to, I know, interview one of their docents and that way they're going to push it out to their audience as well. I feel like you already have so many great local connections in that regard. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like one of the 
um, institutions we were hoping to reach out to was the National Archives, which often gets forgotten. Like no one ever knows that it exists, even though they're the ones who like, you know, hold all of Australia's secrets and the history of all the really interesting stuff. So we wanted to reach out to them and see how do you think we would go about doing that? Just would it be, um, you know, saying kind of like, could you sponsor it? Could you like, yeah. Yeah. So I think, again, it depends on what you're looking for, right? The kind of relationships that you're looking to build. But let's say you're looking for a traditional sponsorship route. So it may be, hey, XYZ company or brands, like we're launching a podcast and we have, for example, we have 10 episodes that's going out. It's starting you know, in January, for example. And traditionally you would offer an ad spot, which means it could be a 30 second ad. It could be a 60 second ad. So that's traditional. And usually it's a pre-roll is that ad before the content start. So before you go into the meat of your episode, that's a pre-roll. A mid-roll, which is typically more expensive, more pricey because it's interrupting the listener. So you're going to charge more for that. That is called a mid-roll. And I like to include mid-rolls that are relevant, you know, so it's not like, Hey, here's a toothbrush. And it's like, wait, what? This is not, (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. Uh, But again, it's up to you and your discretion. And then the last is the post-roll. So that is at the tail end before folks sign off, you would hear an ad. Now, the thing with the the post-roll is that your listeners may have fallen off by that time. So it's usually the least pricey because folks usually tail off at the end, right? Once they start to hear, oh, goodbye now, now they're like, okay, good night, you know, closing the podcast app. So that's usually a little bit less pricey. That's like traditional sponsorships. But when I think about sponsorships, I think about overall as a brand because your podcast is just one asset in your toolbox. However, you have a website. However, you have a blog. Maybe you have pamphlets that you were going to distribute on these tours that you have, or maybe you use an app or something like that, right? So before I reach out to a sponsor, I really think about like, let me look at all the assets that my brand has and the offerings that I can provide, right? the type of exposure, the types of maybe sales or recognition or whatever the case may be. And then I come to them and I try to meet with them and ask them, Hey, you know, we have an interest here. What would you be interested in? And how can I help you with what I'm building and what I'm creating? And then you create a package that makes sense for them. So those are some of the things that I, that I think about, but again, it really just depends. A lot of people just start off with the podcast ads but you're more than just a podcast. You have a website, you have a newsletter, you have your social media platforms. These are all part of your connected brand and they're worth something to sponsors. Oh, that's such a good point that we can kind of leverage the whole business. And I guess that's one of the great things about being like kind of a tour operator going into this, that we have those other things that we do do walking tours, that we, you know, have the social media. Got a quick message from one of our sponsors and then we'll get right back to today's show. Stay tuned. Do you spend many nights sitting at your desk trying to figure something out in your booking system to make it work better for your business? With Checkfront, you'll always have access to a friendly support team who's quick to reply with a step-by-step solution no matter what you need help with. 
Find out other ways Checkfront can make things easier for you at checkfront.com forward slash tourpreneur. What makes a good podcast? I mean, are there any other things, maybe like pet peeves even that you have of besides the basics of bad sound probably? Yeah. So I actually have a list uh, of things that I've thought through and more than half of the list is more of skills and just your presence as a brand. And then the last is going to be like the technical things like your equipment and things like that. So personally, again, this is a subjective because everyone will have something different depending on your taste, but I think having a strong sense of purpose is really important to creating a good podcast because a podcast, listening to a podcast is a value exchange. Even though it's free to consume, your listeners are giving up their time to listen to you. So that's an hour, that's 30 minutes, that's 45 minutes, two hours, however long that is, that is their time. So there is an exchange of value happening. And you really want to make sure that you know, as a podcast host, what this show is about and what we're doing so that they can easily opt in or opt out. So they know this is for me. Well, this is not for me. So strong sense of purpose is really important. What's your why? And I also like to distill this. And I tell my clients this, I like to think about if I had to divide up all my episodes, I have like over 90 now. So if I had to divide up all my episodes, how many buckets, general buckets would that fill? And these are called your content pillars. So I usually advise to have three to four content pillars so that you know, okay, sometimes we talk about this. Sometimes we talk about that. But at the end of the day, it still goes under this overarching theme, right? So for example, my show, The Thought Card Podcast, my overarching buckets are affording travel, affordable travel destinations, things to do those kind of tips. We have paying off debt. We have building wealth and we have earning money, entrepreneurship, investing, that kind of stuff. So whenever I'm thinking about what to create, I always pull up those four buckets and there's no question because those are what my things that my people are coming to me for over and over again. So your purpose is really important. At the same token, also a strong sense of community. So with your content, with your purpose, you're going to attract these people who are like-minded, who are advocates of your work, who want to hear more of what you're going to provide, which is going to be your tribe. So a strong sense of tribe, a strong sense of connection and community, especially for tour operators, I think is really important because as a podcast host, you have this great ability to gain listeners from all over the world who may come to Australia one day right? Who will come to check out your tours, or maybe they may never have an opportunity to come to Australia, but because you have an offering of products that they can consume even digitally, that again is something that makes you really valuable, right? So that strong sense of community is really important. And then I would also think about maybe giving them a name as well to your tribe. So for me, I always start my episodes as welcome back financially savvy travelers to another episode of the Thought Card Podcast. Every episode, I say the same thing with the same inflection of my voice. So I do that because 
I see myself as financially savvy traveler and I know my audience see themselves as well. And I want them to be like, yeah, that's me. Like that's totally me. And it also builds that brand recognition where they where they know who you are, even if you don't have the intro song or any of that like cute stuff that we include in podcasts. Um, the other thing I want to also mention, especially since a lot of tour operators are storytellers, right? So being able to tell a captivating story being able to have something that has a beginning, middle, and end that grips people, that brings people in is a skill. And it takes time to develop. And for me, I'm not a pantser, meaning I don't just fly by the seat of my pants to create my episodes. I sit down and I plan it out. I have an outline. I have questions for all of my guests. So I am steering the ship and my guests can you know go off and tell their amazing stories but i know where this is going and i purposely created all the questions i have have been tailored for this so being a really good storyteller is really really important consistency so 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 key this is more of like a, the technical things like being where you say you're going to be being present if you say i'm going to drop every monday Make sure you do every Monday. It's that trust. Because you know what sometimes is that your audience may have built you into their routine. Maybe they walk their dogs early Monday morning and they know they're going to listen to your show. And when you don't show up with something new, they're disappointed. And the disappointment is going to be a couple of weeks until they find something else. And then now you may have lost them forever. It's a tough business to be in, but I'm sure we all can relate. That consistency is really important. And then the last two things would be quality of your equipment. So investing in quality equipment, what's great is that equipment these days are good quality and they're not, they don't have a huge price tag. The microphone I'm using right now is a hundred US dollars. So it is really, really good. My, at least my editor tells me it's good. It sounds good, which is great, but having good equipment and carving out budget to be able to upgrade. So over time, you may realize, Hey, there's something in this new microphone or new headphones that need that I need, and I'm ready to step it up a little bit. So putting money aside to invest in your technology, I think is really, really important. And then you're editing. So a lot of indies, they start off editing themselves. It's a time commitment to learn how to edit, to be able to say, this is a good thing to keep in the episode. This is not so good. It's not valuable. So if you can learn how to edit, that's good. If you have a team, wonderful. These are the six things or so that I think are really important, but I'd love to hear like, what do you think makes a good podcast as well? And shout out to our editor, Carrie. But Danielle, that's really interesting how you break down so specifically what elements make a podcast. Because I'm just thinking now on the podcast that I listen to. And one thing you said that stuck out is that routine. Like I totally do have a routine with podcasts and I totally have fallen out of listening to podcasts because that one morning walking my dog, it suddenly wasn't available. And that was it. Then I just fell out of the routine and now I don't listen to those podcasts anymore. It's it's really interesting to think about user behavior in that way of my own listening to podcasts. Yeah, these are powerful things. And these are things that are outside of the content that we create, right? But behavior, listener behavior is so, so, so important when it comes to podcasts, especially like we like to do things in a particular order on a particular app at a particular time, doing particular things. So these are, again, these are things to consider, but I think overall not to be too like overwhelming. 
I think the biggest thing is have purpose and know the direction of your show. Like, what are you here to talk about? And make sure that everything you cover on your show is a value exchange, right? These people are giving you their time and may trust you enough to give you their money very soon. So um, it's a relationship that you're building. I have an audience question in that regard of, obviously, it is ideal if the podcast can reach future customers, right? It's not necessarily passive income in that way, but it's expanding their audience reach who are then future customers. That is a very different demographic as you brought up before. Like some people aren't going to make it to Australia who are interested in women's history. So how do you expand reaching for that audience without excluding people who aren't potential customers for a walking tour, if that makes sense. Like, do you really need to compartmentalize each of your different audiences or is there a way to have one umbrella audience? I would say to really map out the user experience and ideally the path that you would want listeners to take. So if the whole point of the show is to lead people to the in-person walking tours, then I would literally do a sketch of, okay, listen to podcast. Then maybe they join the email list. And on the email list, they get, let's say, a coupon code that they could use to sign up for the next walking tour. And then in each of the email lists, you have like booking links and things like that. So really visualizing and mapping out what are you, what do you want your folks to do throughout listening to the episode, every single episode, every episode that you have is an opportunity for them to take action and do something very specific. It doesn't have to be the same thing all the time. She Shapes History could be a general podcast about Australian women's stories, right? Some of the stories, some of the stories are like a teaser to the tour. And some of the stories are maybe things that you wouldn't even hear on the tour because these are just stories that you should know. So I think it just depends on how you're going to go about it. But in each episode, you can still have, okay, if you want to take me up on this offer, here, book a tour, here, purchase the book, here, do this, join my email list. There's things that you can do to kind of drip and drab. But I would say a podcast offers an opportunity to reach people in countries that are way beyond where you live, way beyond your target demographic. I have a huge Indian audience. I've never been to India. I've never promoted my stuff in India, but I have a huge Indian audience, which is amazing, right? So you never know what's going to call a particular nation towards your work which is why like for me having something very general, but then my map, right? The visualization of the customer journey is very specific. And also podcasting is a long-term play. So you may have a listener that's going to be listening to you for like seven months, eight months before they actually go ahead and purchase. But again, you have to leave those crumbs and you have to think about the customer journey as you're creating this content. I love the idea of that kind of mapping it out and the journey that they'll take. You were talking about the content buckets and how you kind of like advise people to think about how their content kind of like fits into which buckets they fill up. How would you like go about planning that? That's the purpose, right? What's the purpose of your brand? What's the purpose of your show? And I'm just looking at your site right? So one of the words that stood out to me is untold history and stories. So maybe that's the bucket, things that are off of Main Street, things that you're not going to really hear. 
So that's why people come to you and your brand. Because you have such a strong brand presence on your website, just read your website again and see what words stood out to you. For example, you have here, experience a different side of Australian history. So for me, I'm like, oh, what's the usual side and and what's different? Your episodes don't necessarily have to be stories. It could be, for example, like, here's what we typically learn in Australian history. And here's what you're missing out, right? Things like that to kind of intrigue folks. Then you could have other ones or stories, things like that. But I think there's a lot that you can do. Reread your website since you already have one and pick out the words that you're like, oh, that's a bucket because we always go back to that. That's a a core brand value. Another bucket I'm thinking of, Sita, is you both mention a lot the idea of like encouraging call to actions or encouraging activism, like with the cards that you have. I feel like that's another bucket of like how to be a radical woman in Australia or how to change the system. I have a logistical question on buckets. And it's really interesting because in our last episode, when we spoke to someone in marketing, I feel like these buckets also came up. But do you have any recommendations on the logistics of scheduling? You know, so like, okay, you have these buckets, you know you're going to commit to biweekly, for example. How far out do you like to plan your episodes? And I mean, you mentioned you have the questions and speakers ready. Is that like planned out as well ahead of time? Yes. So this is one of the things that trial and error is going to be your best friend because you're going to have to kind of figure it out as you go. For me, I really do terrible with last minute. Like I'm not a fly by to see the pants last minute person. And of course I had a full-time job. So I was constrained with time there as well. So what I decided to do is I decided to batch, meaning that I would spend a week or two Now I actually spend the whole month. I have spent a whole month interviewing folks and creating content for the podcast. And then I just save those files on my computer. And then as I am ready to like kind of parse it out to my editorial team or edit myself, I have a schedule where I know I need to edit the podcast ahead of time. So for me, the content creation is step one. Editing is step two. So I don't combine them. I don't record an episode and then I'm editing it the same day. You'd lose your mind. So batch, at least for me, is what I do. I batch record, create all my content uh, for the month or for a week or whatever the case may be. And then I edit on my own time and I'm able to do all of the administrative things like creating the blog post that accompanies it and the graphics and all of that other stuff. I schedule it out. So when my listeners are seeing a new episode, girl, that was done like two months ago. (laughs) That's just like something that you just dropped in, you scheduled it. It's not something that um, I'm doing in a minute because that is good. That's to me very stressful. So I prefer to be ahead. So what I did, here's a real example, is I recorded, I think like 12 interviews in June. June was my recording month. And then I would send it out to my editor and we were ahead of schedule. So my editor is not stressed. I'm not stressed. We're talking months in advance. So all the June content I had is going to put me all the way up until December. I like having a month of just let's focus and worry about the podcast, drip it out to my editor. And then I'm working on creating the assets that go along with it behind the scenes. And how do you go about interviewing people? For instance, 
how do you know that they're the right person to interview? Do you do like a little bit of a pilot interview before that you get them onto the podcast? So there are people who do that. I personally don't do it. I kind of feel like time is money kind of thing. So if I want to have you on my show, it's my job to do the due diligence to make sure that you're up to snuff. So there are things that you can do, let's say in the intake form, the form that they fill out to like schedule, you can ask them preliminary questions like, do you have a microphone? Do you use Zoom or do you know how to use Skype? So some of these like logistical, technical questions. But I would say the guests that I have, I've probably been scoping them out or admiring them for quite some time. Or I'm looking to see what their other interviews sounded like. You know, a lot of people have done a lot of interviews now. Podcasts are very popular to see what they can do. Or I don't care. Like, for example, right now I'm looking for folks to talk about cryptocurrency. And I actually ask on Twitter, who do you know talks about cryptocurrency? And I got a bunch of recommendations. And I'm less concerned because I know that they're recommended by people I trust on Twitter and also that they're experts. And we could always edit things out. So if they kind of fumble or it's not a good interview, either we edit it or we don't air it. So you don't have to air everything that you create. A lot of times I know someone, I admire them, and I already know like this person is an expert in this topic. So I know I'm going to want to have that person on my show. No, that's great. That's really helpful for us because we've got like a very long list of people we want to interview. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean that they're going to be featured in an episode, a full episode is going to be, it could be, hey, we talked for half an hour, but it was really only the 10 minutes. Like that 10 minutes is key to have that like placement in this episode. It's relevant. So that's a wonderful thing about audio is that you can slice and dice it any, any way you want to. There's no commitment to featuring the full episode. Like, how do you stop the podcast from basically just taking over everything else? Seasonality, having seasons is a great way to limit, like limit what you have to do to produce the show. And also going back to having a clear purpose, like what is the purpose of this show? Is this going to be a lead generation? Is this going to be strictly for sales? What is the purpose of this? And analyzing over time to see, am I hitting the mark on this? For example, for me, when I first started my podcast, it was really to get myself out there. It was to build a platform. And I felt like I did that. I did that. And I've been podcasting for three years. So that was done. And then over time, I'm like, oh, I have new goals now. So having goals, tracking those goals, seeing how you're shaping up to that, and then not being afraid to recenter yourself and to figure out, okay, what's the next step for it? But when you are limited in time, it's really important to be organized. It's really important, especially since it's the two of you also knowing who does what. Maybe Sita is really good at editing and Sita is going to be the editor. And maybe Ripley, you're like the guest curator and your guest relations, right? So having clear cut responsibilities and having the two of you, which is great because you can share responsibility. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like otherwise you, you would just be producing content endlessly. Yeah. Danielle, thank you so much. I could listen to you talk about this all day. I feel like I always learn something new and it's just, it's so practical. It's so, so useful. Well, thank you for all for having me. This was really a pleasure and I'm excited to see what you create. Yeah, thank you so much. So what are you both thinking? That was tons of information. We covered so many things. Are there any things that stand out or do you have like a to-do list forming now in your heads? 
Yeah, well, I think after that, thinking through like what the purpose actually is for the podcast and what we want to get out of it, because as kind of Danielle said, like there are so many different routes that you could go. And I just loved her kind of idea of those like content buckets and kind of coming back to that. But I also thought that Danielle's point about like staying broad and focusing on like She Shapes History as opposed to just like spies or a specific topic was a really good tip. I really liked how she talked about going back to the website and pulling out those values and pulling out those themes because I feel like we're so close to it that when we were chatting about the podcast, we had like a million ideas. So simplifying, going back to the fundamentals, I thought that was really a big standout. I love that she talked about the purpose so much. And I mean, I've said this before, but I think both of you are uniquely ahead of that. You know, like already from the beginning, that was your literal start was a purpose. It wasn't even a tour company. It was the purpose. So I think that is so strong. And adapting that to the podcast will be really interesting because you could almost look at it. And I think we talked about this last episode, but it's just like another way to achieve your purpose, which is kind of nice and maybe more COVID proof also. (laughs) Yeah, I like the idea it could reach a wider audience than Canberrans or people in surrounding regions. I think that's really neat as well, because it isn't just Australians who need to hear a different side of our history. Like our history has so much for others. So yeah. Yeah, it was also interesting that she was like, you know, pointing that part of our website about, you know, the history that you didn't learn in school, because when we were actually planning out the tour content, that's how we had structured it originally before we realized that was way too complicated to do kind of both histories, but doing like the history that you did learn in school. And then the other side, which is kind of just as, if not more interesting. That's probably a really good reminder for all tourpreneurs that you should go back to that purpose now and then, and you should go back to those original values and see, have you strayed? Is that okay? Has it evolved? Or have you kind of forgotten the original purpose? That's probably really, really good practice to get into. I think especially during lockdown too. Yes. So, I mean, with that, good luck. We'll see another four weeks. Yeah, Sita was the um, determination. So, I don't know, next month, we'll see where you are. Maybe maybe the the guest, I don't know, the guest will be, try to think of something um, facetious. A motivational speaker. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Some good energy. Next month, a motivational speaker on trauma. Um, <laughs> we'll hang in there, both of you. And at least I mean, we have this to look forward to in four weeks. So good luck. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Torpreneur podcast. Be sure to visit torpreneur.com to join the conversation and access the show notes, including links to the resources mentioned on today's episode. This is Torpreneur.